Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Wow, that was reassuring. That's just a great start. Awesome. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Okay, well, if uh, you are first-time visitor today, or I guess if you've been here since start, if you're here this morning, you know I am not the normal guy who stands up here in the morning. I'm the shorter version of him. So Jern's actually out for a couple weeks on vacation. Um, so I am preaching this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Chris Rasmussen. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Discover Church. Um, and you'll also notice that I don't use his podium because he's so tall that I can't see over it. So I have to use one of these. So, but it's great to be here this morning. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we're in this sermon series um, entitled By Faith. And in doing so, we're talking through Hebrews 11. We're talking uh, about different people from the Old Testament and how they responded in faith to the circumstances that they found themselves in. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've heard the same statement over and over again. And so I would go ahead and, and start off with the same one so you can repeat after me if you've heard this before, that faith is believing that something is so when it isn't so because God said it's so. So faith is believing something is so when it isn't so, because God said it's so. And so this morning, we're going to continue on this sermon series, and we're going to be looking by faith, but we're going to be looking at one of the giants of the Old Testament, and that's Moses. And Moses is widely considered to be one of the greatest men to the Jewish people. He, he was the lawgiver. He was a historian. He was a scholar. He was a leader. We learn a lot of our leadership techniques from him. But this morning, we're also going to see that he was the deliverer in the Old Testament. And Moses' life actually spans uh, a long ways through the first part of the Bible. It, it starts in Exodus. It goes through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And if you're not really familiar with the Old Testament, that's okay. That's essentially four of the first five books um, after Genesis are dedicated to Moses or talks about his life. Then after that, you, we hear about Moses another 100 times in the Old Testament and then another 80 times in the New Testament. So he's definitely a pillar in the Bible. But not only is he a pillar, but he's an important person to examine as we talk about living by faith. Because we, we all live by faith in something. We live by faith. We place our faith in something. It could be our jobs. It could be our careers. It could be our bank accounts. It could be our family. We all trust and believe in something and we all trust and believe in, in someone. And so at the beginning of, of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, when we first started a few weeks ago, Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so our decision to live by faith in things that are not seen is much easier than, it's much easier to say than what it is to live out. Because there's aspects of this world that'll blind our decision-making at all times. And this constant pressure that we live in to make decisions is a real wrestling match of how we live by faith. In fact, our, our lives are really just a series of, of decisions and every aspect of the decisions that we make in, in our lives will, will determine an outcome. Did you know that various people estimate that adults 
We make 35,000 decisions a day. Doesn't that sound like a lot? 35,000 decisions a day, but you think about it, it's what we eat, what we wear, what time we wake up, where we walk, what we do, when we shower, like everything is a series of decisions that we make. Now, some of them are pretty minor, you know, whether or not you have one egg in the morning versus two, you know, things like that probably aren't going to make a huge difference or impact. But some of the decisions we make are major decisions and they, they are, they have massive implications on the consequences of our life. In fact, if we even push off a decision, then we've made the decision not to make a decision. So our whole life is just this series of decision-making. And, you know, the problem is, is sometimes we make good decisions and sometimes we make really bad decisions. But the thing is, is sometimes we don't even know if it's a good or a bad decision until it's actually gone. And then all of a sudden we look back and go, wow, we, wow, wish, wish I had that to do over again. And so as we look at the, the life of Moses, what we're going to see is that living by faith means making decisions in faith. So living by faith means making decisions in faith. Because throughout Moses' life, um, decisions in faith literally, literally charted the future of Israel. And just as Moses, our life, it, outcomes are largely influenced by the decisions that we make in faith. Because it's not our circumstances that determine our life. Because we will often find ourselves in the same circumstance as somebody else. You know, we'll say, we'll, we'll deal with the, the death of a family member. We'll deal with some issues with our kids. We'll deal with job loss. We'll deal with moving. Like, we all deal with very similar circumstances. But the decisions that we make are what impact our life moving forward. So this morning, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to talk about Moses, and, and we're going to start in verse 23, and we're going to see that living by faith truly means making decisions in faith. So we'll start at Hebrews 11, uh, 23. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me, or we'll have the verses on the, um, on the screen behind me. So starting in verse 23, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith, uh, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, this is just a, a small glimpse of Moses' life. This is a, a really compact, succinct, concise version of, of Moses' life. But in five verses, the author of Hebrews talks about 80 years of Moses' life. So it's really amazing to see how he did that. But as I mentioned, you know, Moses is, is widely regarded as one of the greatest men of the Bible. Not only is that, he's a hero 
to the Jewish people and to their culture because he's the one who's credited with receiving the Ten Commandments and the establishment and observation of, of many of the rituals and, and sacrifices. And he's the one who, who received the instructions to build the ark and the tabernacle and a lot of the ceremonial robes that they have. But unfortunately, these aspects of the Old Testament are, are often associated with, with a very structured and rigid set of rules that, that you had to follow exactly, just as it was laid out, no variance at all. And what this results in is what we call legalism in the church, where everything is black and white, and you either do it right or you do it wrong, and it's called legalism. It, it means that if you vary off of it, you've done it wrong. But what happens is Moses' life is actually more about faith than legalistic rules. It's, it's characterized about living by faith and making decisions in faith. And so as we dig into his history, it's going to provide an example of a man and his family that lived in faith. And so the first thing we see here in, in Scripture is, is the faith of his parents, that, that the faith of Moses' parents is what was actually passed on to him. And so first we see a decision to follow God's plan. A decision to follow God's plan. So let me back give you the backdrop of what's happening here. We're, we're, we're tying Hebrews 11 back to the start of Exodus, Exodus 1. And so Exodus is the second book of the Bible. You start with Genesis and you go to Exodus. And so what happens is from the end of Genesis to the start of Exodus is roughly 400 years. There's a gap of roughly 400 years between there. And so at the end of Genesis, you have a small clan of about 70 Israelites that are in Egypt. And now over those 400 years, they've grown to a population of 2 million people. And so the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time is, is really concerned about this growth and this population expo explosion. And so he does what he can to either limit or stop the growth of the Israelites. And so first he, he inflicts them to heavy burden and, and then he inflicts them to hard labor. He's trying to work them to death or, or even stress them out. But what happens is the, the population keeps booming and, and exploding. And so he issues a new decree and that's emphasized. And if you don't know what that is, that's basically the killing of any baby that is under a year old. Because he figures if I, if I can't stop them from breeding, then when they have kids, I'll just kill them. So we pick it up in Exodus 1, 9. It says, and he, he being Pharaoh, and he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from this land. Because now they're enslaved, they're doing all this work. And so not only does he not want them to overthrow them, but now he's afraid they're going to actually escape and he's going to lose all this manual labor. So picking up in 22, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So this is the environment here that, that Moses is, is born into where the killing of babies is an edict from the king. That he's actually demanding his people kill these babies. And so when Moses' parents had them, the first thing they wanted to do is protect their son. So in, in scripture, we see that, that they risk their lives to disobey the, the wicked, ruthless leader that was intent on having Moses killed. 
And so this is where we see the, the faith of Moses is linked directly to his parents. In Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, it says, by faith, oops, sorry, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, going back, uh, tying this back to Exodus, once again in two, it says, the woman conceived and bore a son and when she, she saw that he was a fine child, she held him, she hid him three months. Now in the book of Acts, it talks about his birth this way. It says, at this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. So three different times in scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it talks about Moses' birth. And every time it talks about him either being beautiful or fine. Some uh, variations will even say he was a special child. But this word beautiful is, is more than just physical beauty. It's more than just that, that Moses was a, a cute kid because truth be told, most babies are cute when they're born, are they not? Like, have you ever seen a truly ugly baby? Have you ever told his, their parents that you have an ugly baby? So granted, I'm sure there's an ugly baby out there because everybody laughed and I actually heard a couple of yeses. But man, if you had the audacity to tell his parents, then I hope you know Jesus because you will be killed. But here this beautiful this word that we're seeing used here is, is much more than, than physical looks. It actually means in the original language to do good, to be beneficial, or having qualities suitable for a specific plan. Having quality specific or having quality suitable for a specific plan. So of course his, his parents loved him and, and they wanted to protect him, but they knew when they saw Moses that there was something about him and there was a plan to be followed. So their faith accepted God's plan. Their faith trusted God's plan. And their faith followed God's plan. And so as, as long as they could, they sheltered him and they shielded him from Pharaoh. They kept him in the house. But there was obviously a time where they had to let him go. And so as parents, they had to trust that if they let go of their son that they couldn't hold him in the house forever, that, that God had a plan for him and would protect him. So we see here in Exodus 2 what, what happened to Moses. It says um, in Exodus 2, starting in verse 3, when she, now she would be Moses' mother, could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it amongst the reeds by the river bank. This would be the Nile. And his sister, now we see Moses' sister coming involved, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket amongst the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying and she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister, this is Moses' sister again, said the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, now think about this. 
You're talking about a slave who she's going to talk to Pharaoh's daughter, and that wasn't done. So now you've got the faith of his sister and the boldness jumping in here. And so she adds, she says to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Moses' mother, take this child away and nurse for him, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. First of all, can you imagine having a three-year-old child, a Hebrew, and you know that there's a decree from the king that he should be killed, and you're just going to place him in a basket and place him in the river and just have no idea who's going to find him. Can you imagine the faith that that would take? It's amazing. But what's even interesting here is that not only is Moses placed in the Nile by his parents, but he ends up right back in the arms of his mother. They had given him up to God's protection and God brought him right back to his parents. But this time, it's under the direction of Pharaoh's daughter. So her dad had said, kill all Hebrew children under the age of one. She finds one. Scripture even tells us she knows it's a Hebrew. And she says, no, go get a, a nurse and nurse him. So, he, so Pharaoh's own daughter is now protecting Moses. Now, there's just no way that that his parents, when, when he was conceived and born, that, that they could have foreseen that this was going to happen. Like, how would they have known? So this displays their, their heroic faith in the plan that God had for Moses. They knew that he would save their baby boy because he was destined for something great. And so I would say the same thing to, to you this morning, that you'll never discover what God has planned for you until you make a decision to follow God in faith. Even if it means having very little knowledge or information or, or guidance of, of what he has in plan, sometimes he gives us only this small little glimpse and you have to step out in faith. Sometimes it's just a nudging. Like, I don't know what God's doing here, but he's got a plan and he's nudging me. And so what happens is, is we stand still and we go, oh no, we, we need more direction. No, God sometimes just gives you a small little nudging. And are we following his plans by faith? So scripture goes on to tell us that Moses eventually went to live with Pharaoh's daughter in the palace, but not until he had been with his parents for roughly 10 or 12 years. And during that time, his parents were able to raise Moses. They were able to nurture him. They were able to tell him stories about the, the Hebrews in the past and the history of his people, telling him stories about Abraham and the covenants and all the promises. And then his mother released him to live at the palace and I can just imagine her saying, goodbye, but, but always, always remember what we've told you. So now Moses is living with Pharaoh's daughter, and now he's got the life of luxury. He's, he's part of this privileged Egyptian royalty. He has everything at his fingertips. He has prominence and, and pleasures and, and treasures, everything of Egypt that now is available to him is part of Pharaoh's family. But now he's, he's at a crossroads. 
He, he's torn between two worlds. He, he knows all about his Hebrew roots, but he's also now living in the Egyptian world. You know, he's with these Egyptians who are worshiping multiple gods, but he also knows about the true God-fearing Israelites that are out there. On one side, he's got prestige and prominence and power and riches. And on the other side is abuse and slavery and hardship. On one side, he's adopted into this, but the other side, he was born into this. So for Moses, living by faith meant not only following God's plan, it also meant a a decision to embrace God's priorities. A decision to embrace God's priorities. Because living a godly, holy life was in complete conflict to what was going on in Egypt at the time. And so embracing God's priorities, Moses also had to reject a lot of what he knew in this world. And so as we go through the next part of scripture, we're going to see that he rejected several things. First of all, in in Hebrews 11, uh, 24, it says, Moses rejected prominence. Moses rejected prominence. In Hebrews 11, 24, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, and now grown up, he's roughly 40 years old at this time, which I find interesting because when we say people are grown up, you usually think like teenagers, 18. Moses got to the ripe old age of 40 before he was grown up. How many of you feel that way? I'm almost 50 and I still feel like a kid. So anyway, he's grown up, he's almost 40 years old, and he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Now there's many things that can lead to prominence. It can be money, it can be a family recognition, it can be your education, maybe you have a profession that brings a lot of power. But what's interesting is Moses had them all. He had every single one of them, and yet he, he refused to identify himself with the royal family. He rejected his place in Pharaoh's court. And very few people could have walked away from this. Very few people would have walked away from the prominence that he had because it's so much easier to, to live. It would have been so much easier for him to live in what he knew and what was really probably a comfortable life. But instead, he chose to identify with the mistreating, beaten, enslaved people of God because he knew where he belonged and that was his, with his people. Now, second, as we finish uh, Hebrews eleven twenty five, 25, it'll tell us that Moses rejected sinful pleasures. He rejected sinful pleasures. So in eleven twenty five, 25, it goes on, it says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, let me add a, a few words to scripture, if I may. How about the temporary, the momentary, fleeting pleasures of sin? Or I'll add a few more words to it. How about the damaging, the harmful, the destructive, fleeting pleasures of sin? Because the Egyptian palaces were, were completely full of sin. And, and, uh, but maybe one of the greatest sins that was going on at the time 
was the worship of, of multiple gods. The Egyptians were polytheistic, which means that they worship many, many gods. And so if he would have embraced the Egyptian way, he would have essentially been turning his back on the one true God and, and condoning the worship of many gods. And so there's a lot of things in this world that, that are okay, you know, and, and I don't want to sit here and say that riches and prominence and power and profession and stuff like that, they're not all bad. But when you get to a situation where you're turning your back on God for them, then it's sinful. When you're turning your, your back on God for, for riches, you're turning your back on God for promises, and, and you're turning your back on for prominence, it's sinful. And that's what Moses knew was going on here. So instead, he chose to identify with the mistreated and scorned Hebrews because they worshiped the one true God. See, God calls for us to live a holy life for his glory and our good. But Satan's sinful ways are for Satan's glory and for our demise. It's not for our good. It's for our demise. So now the third thing we see here is that scripture tells us is that Moses rejected worldly treasures. Moses rejected worldly treasures. Moving on into Hebrews eleven twenty six, it says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The reproach of Jesus or the reproach of Christ as a greater wealth. It's an amazing statement when you think of what reproach actually means. Reproach means the disgrace, the disapproval. So Moses would rather embrace the shame, the criticism, and the rejection that Jesus experienced and to be reviled was considered a greater wealth than all the treasures of the Egyptian royalty. Now, let's put this in perspective a little bit because I did my research on, on the wealth of pharaohs. And did you know that the pharaoh's worth could be up to three to four hundred billion dollars in today's value? Three to four hundred billion. Like most of us can't even wrap our minds around that. But what we're essentially talking about is, is wealth that could easily equal or surpass that of Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, maybe even at a time, add those two together. And so it says here that, that Moses rejected that for the disgrace of Christ. Now, obviously, if you think about this, Moses was born about 14 to 1500 years before Jesus. So he wouldn't have actually known who Jesus is. And we saw this last week as Jernigan was talking as well, because in Hebrews 11, in part of the New Testament, you know, we know Jesus, but back then in the Old Testament, they didn't know. But what he would have known through his nurturing of his family is that there was a promise of a Messiah. He would have known that, that there was a promised deliverer of God's people. He would have known through his family heritage that, that the coming Messiah was coming to, to save the people, to set them free. And so what he's saying here is that I know that promise of a Messiah is much greater than any wealth 
that's out there. So by, by, by living by faith means that making a decision to follow God's plan, a decision to embrace God's priorities. And third, living by faith means making a decision to be in God's presence, to be in God's presence. Now, Hebrews eleven twenty seven it says, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he left Egypt. Now, once again, it's always important to look at some of these words because this word left actually means more than just physically leaving. Like if I say this morning, I left the church, then well, I, I just, I, I walked away. But this is more than just this physical aspect of, of leaving somewhere. The word here actually means to completely leave behind, to abandon, or even renounce. So this is the same word that we talk about when we talk about the disciples, how they left everything behind to follow Jesus. It's the same meaning. So what we're saying here is that he, he didn't just physically leave Egypt. He actually renounced and completely abandoned everything that he knew there. Everything completely. It was a decision that he made to not only identify with his people, but now he's actually completely leaving everything behind. Now, when you read through the, the Old Testament, you know, Moses actually left Egypt on two different occasions. Most people, when they think about him leaving, associate with the Exodus when, when he led uh, the people out of Egypt. But there was also a time when, when he left Egypt after he had killed the Egyptian. And so he actually left on, on two different occasions. And so when you're trying to connect this passage in Hebrews back to Exodus, scholars and theologians, they, they widely disagree with which departure they're talking about here. But there's something that I think is, is very important that we see in this, and that's, it says that he left. Because when you look forward in verses 28 and 29, it actually uses the word them and the people. And so what we see here is, is that he left. It's talking about Moses. And you also put this in chronological order. When you look at verse 27 through 28 and 29, it talks about he left. And then the 28 talks about the Passover and 29 talks about the Red Sea. And so it really makes sense that when he's talking about the he left here, this is the first time. So if you don't, know the story or, or you don't recall the story of what happened when, when he left. Moses is out one day and this is when he's, he's at the crossroads of, of everything and identifying with his people and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so Moses becomes so enraged on how this person's be treating, been treated that he actually strikes down the Egyptian dead and buries him in the sand. And so now once that word gets out and they find out that, that Moses had killed this person, he then flees and leaves Egypt completely. So from here, he spends the next 40 years of his life in obscurity and really inactivity as a shepherd in Midian. And so during this time, he marries and he starts a family. But for 40 years, he's trying to figure out what's this plan of God. 40 years, that's Four decades of wondering what God's up to. Four decades of standing there trying to figure out what God's plan is. Imagine standing there for 
four decades when most of us in this room, and I'm one included, can't wait one day for an answer. How many times have you prayed to God in the morning and you expect he's going to answer just like that? Or, hey, maybe by the end of the day, he's going to provide an answer to you. Man, we can't wait one day and Moses waited 40 years. 40 years. So now we're going to pick up the story 40 years later when Moses is 80. Now I'm just going to go on a side note tangent here. When I turn 80 years old, I'm going to assume that most of my life purpose is over. I'm going to assume that by 80, I'm ready to clock out and I'm done. But at 80 years old, Moses wasn't finished. He was just getting started. And so we're going to pick this up in the the book of Acts because in the book of Acts, there's a man named Stephen who's arrested and accused of blasphemy. And when he's pulled in front of the courts, he makes this this defense argument. And in his defense, he uses many of the the old people from the Old Testament as as talking about the stories of, of his faith. And so he talks about the story of Moses and this is how he does it in Acts 7. Acts 7, starting in verse 30, it says, Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. Now this is the burning bush that you hear about. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet for this place, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I have come to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. So now notice here in scripture, if you, if you heard it when I talked about it, they're standing at Mount Sinai. They're standing in the wilderness there. So he gets this message from God at Mount Sinai to go back to Egypt and free God's people. He's raising up a deliverer for them. And so when we read ahead in Bible, and and maybe you know this already, but the Israelites would eventually return to Sinai and they would camp there. In Exodus 19, looking ahead, it says, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. And then later on, it says the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. So God is essentially telling Moses at this time, right here at the burning bush, go retrieve my people from Egypt and return to this place and be in my presence. Like this is amazing how you think about the journey of where he's going to go and he's going to come back to the place where this is where he gets the Ten Commandments and, and he gets the instructions of what's really foundational to the Jewish faith. So God's plan for his people is not finished. He was raising up a deliverer who had returned to Egypt with the intent of saving them from slavery. Moses here is standing in the presence of God at the burning bush. And it was this presence that he's receiving what may have been one of the most impactful callings on his life. Now he knows this part of God's plan. After enduring for 40 years in the desert, wondering what was next, now he knows that he's to return to Egypt and deliver God's people. So he returns to Egypt and he goes toe-to-toe 
with Pharaoh, who's probably one of the most powerful and ruthless leaders of this time. So where did his courage come from? It came from a decision to follow God's plan to deliver his people, to bring them and be in God's presence. That's where our courage and our boldness stands. So imagine this conversation. Moses has left Egypt. He's been gone. He's killed an Egyptian. He's gone for 40 years. He comes back. He walks right into Pharaoh and he says, based on scripture, let my people go. And Pharaoh basically says, no. So Moses says, okay, well, we'll just see how a series of plagues will treat you. First of all, they turn the Nile to blood. Moses says, no. He said, okay, how about frogs and gnats and flies? Nope, still not letting his people go. He said, how about the death of livestock? And then everybody gets these amazing boils on their body. Still nothing. So now he says, how about a devastating hailstorm and swarms of locusts in the land? Still nothing. So yet, despite these nine plagues that we read about in the Old Testament, Pharaoh was not swayed. It says his heart was hardened and he was not going to let the Israelites go. He was never going to obey God's command. And it's simply put, what he was doing was rejecting God's authority. So finally, we come to the last plague. God unleashes one last devastating plague. And that's the death of the firstborn in every household. The death of the firstborn in every household. But to the people of Israel, God gives very specific, careful instructions that would protect them from the wealth and devastation of the plague that was coming on that night. See, every Hebrew house was to go out and choose a lamb keep it for four days, and then kill it. And they were going to take the blood of the lamb and they were going to paint it on the door frame of their house. And so what God here is promising to do is to, to spare them, to spare them of this plague. But they had to trust him. They had to trust in faith. Because by faith, there's, there's a decision to follow God's plan. There's a decision to embrace God's priorities. There's a decision to be in the presence of God. But lastly, there's a decision to place trust in God's promises. We place trust in God's promises. So Hebrews 11, it says, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, you have to remember at this time, these, these instructions are strange. The sacrifice of a lamb for all these families would be very costly and, and this ritual is very unprecedented. But this is what the promise was of God to deliver them from his wrath and from death. So we see what happens here in Exodus 12, starting in verse 11. It says, it is the lamb's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you 
when I strike the land of Egypt. So when he saw the blood of the lamb, of the sacrificial lamb painted on the door, the death would pass over them and they would be spared. They trusted. They had to make a decision to trust in his promise that he would spare the household, that, that the blood would on the door, on the doorpost, that nothing would happen to them. They had to trust God's word on this because like I said, everything of this was completely unprecedented at the time. So think about this for us. Is God's word enough for us? Is God's word alone enough for you? Can you place your faith in his word alone without knowing exactly what's going to happen? But he's told us what's going to happen. And so we place our trust in his promise. So on that night, early in the morning, you hear these loud cries of, of despair that rise over Egypt as parents wake and they find the death of their children, except the Hebrew homes. The Hebrews who had the blood of the lamb protected them. They proved in their obedience to God's command that they trusted his promise all in faith. And now the Passover is what they call it. This was a, a critical event in, in the history of Israel. It's, it's the great deliverance of God's people. It's, it's their deliverance from captivity and from uh, uh, a protection from God's wrath. And so every year afterwards, the Passover was celebrated um, as they recognized how they were freed from captive and slavery. Every year, they would do the Passover meal to commemorate what happened on that one night. Until about 1,500 years later, when a man by the name of John the Baptist came along. And when John the Baptist was standing there and he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus walking by him on this earth, he looked at him and he proclaimed to the world, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. See, Moses followed God's plan and, and trusted in God's promise of the Passover. And, and in doing so, he delivered the Israelites from Egypt. He did so on that one night and they commemorated every year from then. But you know what? Moses was a great person, but we have something that's so much greater than Moses. We have a deliverer and our deliverer has the name of Jesus because he's our Passover lamb. Because we get to, to celebrate in his exodus from slavery and sin that was accompanied or that was accomplished by his death and his resurrection. While Moses was the Passover was for one night, we've got Jesus for eternity because he is the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. Jesus came to set us free as well, but he set us free from the bondage of sin and the bondage of evil and the bondage of death. He set us free because those 
are our greatest enemies. That's what captives, captivates us. See, we no longer fear a Pharaoh. We don't feel a earthly captivity. We fear the reality of being eternally separated from the presence of God. And there's an archbishop in the 4th and 5th centuries who, who stated it this way. His name is John Chrysostom. He said, if the blood of a lamb that pers- per- sorry, preserved the Jews unhurt in the midst of the Egyptians and in the presence of a so great dis- uh, destruction, much more will the blood of Christ save us from who it has been sprinkled, not on our, bo- on our doorpost, but on our souls. See, just like Moses and his family and his people will be challenged to make decisions to follow God's plan, to embrace God's priorities, to be in God's presence, to trust in his promises. Because living by faith means making decisions in faith. But the most important decision that we can always make is trusting in Jesus. Trusting in him as our Lord and Savior, as our Passover lamb whose blood is on the doorpost of our heart so that he protects us. He was sacrificed on that cross once and for all, not just for one night, once and for all to deliver us from death. It's an amazing amazing promise that we have to trust in. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.